four and ten one three five. When these tasks were finished, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel, the priests, and the Levites had kept themselves separate from the peoples of the neighboring lands with their despicable practices, namely the Canaanites, Hittites, Hezrites, Zebulites, Ammonites, and the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. They're taking some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and the whole descendants have become mixed with the neighboring peoples. Moreover, the officials and leaders have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my clothes and cloak, pulled out hair from my head and my beard, and sat down in shock. Then all those who trembled at the words of the Lord of God of Israel gathered around me on account of the transgression of the returned exile, while I remained sitting in shock until the evening sacrifice. Well, Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and bowing down before God's house, a very large crowd of men, women, and children of Israel gathered around him. The people also wept in distress. Then Shekinah, Jehovah's son, from the family of Eon, spoke up and said to Ezra, We've been unfaithful to our God for marrying foreign women from the neighboring peoples. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Let's now make a covenant with our gods. Send away all these wives and the children according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let us let it be done according to the instruction. Yeah, for it is your duty to deal with this matter. We will support you. Be strong and act. So Ezra got up and made the leading priests, the Levites, and all Israel take a solemn pledge that they would do as they had said. So they took a solemn pledge. Then Ezra got up from the area in front of God's house and went to the room of Jehoshaphat, Elisha's son, where he spent the night. He did not eat food or drink water, for he was mourning because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. In order and order was circulated throughout Judah and Jerusalem that all returned exiles should gather in Jerusalem. All those who failed to appear within three days as mandated by the officials and elders would have all their property taken away. They would be separated from the congregation of the exiles. So, within three days, all the people of Judah and Benjamin gathered in Jerusalem. It was the twelfth day of the ninth month. All the people sat in the area in front of God's house, trembling because of this order and because of the heavy rain. Then Ezra, the priest, stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women and adding to this 
Yes, we must do as you have said. This is the word of God. Thank you, Marjorie, and can we just show some appreciation for her having to get through all those names right now? <laughs> yeah, well-deserved, thank you. Well done. Friends, will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak to us as a faith community and speak the word that each of us individually needs to hear. And Holy Spirit, may all that I say point us toward greater intimacy with you and you alone, the lover of our bodies, minds, and spirits. Amen. So I'm in my eighth year of being a pastor. And in these soon to be eight years, I have had the privilege of diving into a lot of scripture. Today is easily in the top five of awkward passages I have ever preached on. I think it's number three, but I want to be safe. I'm putting it in the top five. And if you want a full explanation of everything that may or may not be going on here, we need to sit down with a full pot of coffee together. I can't answer every single question that this passage and story brings up in these next 15 to, eight min 15 to 18 minutes. But I will try to get the general gist out and what it means for our lives. So in this part of our story of the exiles returning to Jerusalem, Divorce is very present. Now, generally speaking, divorce is not spoken of positively throughout the Bible. It's not God's preference for how things are supposed to go. Now, sometimes it is the best option for some couples because there are instances where staying together can do more harm than good. Even in the church, there have been tragic stories where women who are being abused were told by pastors that they had to just stick it out in the marriage, that they were doing something wrong that caused their husbands to act that way, even though it was the husband who clearly and abundantly violated the marriage covenant. And then there are also times where there are just two very faithful followers of Christ who depart for various reasons. It's part of our world and life. But overall, again, we see in the biblical story, scripture does not list divorce as something that we should jump to as people of faith. And yet here comes this story. We have this religious expert, Ezra, 
who has come to town to help these exiles get back on track spiritually. And what is his solution? Everybody needs to get divorced. It seems like our so-called expert might have just missed something along the way. How did we get to this point? Let's give a brief recap. The exiles have returned back to their spiritual home to rebuild the temple. They faced opposition. There are a couple of stops and starts in between, but they had started to make significant progress. They were even worshiping again. They just had to keep focus. So in honor of college football starting, ESPN um, has this segment with some of the analysts called, You Had One Job. It's where the analysts look at some of the lowlights, or perhaps we just call them blunders, from some recent games, where a player or perhaps a small group of players had to just make one seemingly simple play, and their team would be marching on to victory, going straight toward the end zone, all would be well. Instead, this player or small group of players lose focus. And then they watch because their opponent is the one celebrating instead. Our exiles had one job. Stay connected to God above all else. Don't repeat the same mistakes of the past generations. And yet here we go again. To make it maybe a little too simple, but to state it plainly, our exiles have adopted this way of thinking that says, I'll worship God on Sunday and live how I want on Monday. Which is a big reason they got sent into exile to begin with. So when any community starts to lose focus, when any group loses the purpose of what they're doing, when they get off track, what do you do? You bring in reinforcements, you call for help, you sound the alarm. So these exiles have a new leader come in. Ezra has been part of the second generation of exiles to return and here is Ezra, an appearingly brilliant mind, trained in the Jewish law, and he had just organized a trip of bringing at least hundreds of pounds of silver and gold across that thousand-mile journey back. Ezra had a nose for the details, and he wasn't just some guy they found off the street who would spout nonsensical ideas. Ezra was trusted, well-respected, and his deep faith was very obvious to everyone. So one of these other exiles, Shechaniah, comes up to Ezra and tells them, and essentially gives an honest confession that they have been unfaithful for marrying foreign women. This is when it gets complicated 
and when we have to learn to not just read the text, but interpret it. Because on this surface, just read plainly, it can appear that Ezra is acting in a very xenophobic, meaning fear of foreigners, or even racist ways against these foreign women. Here's what Ezra and his associates were saying. The exiles had returned to rebuild their spiritual identity. That was their purpose. And the way they were doing it was through rebuilding the temple. But their purpose was to rebuild a spiritual identity above all else. And Ezra knew that that, would, that was only possible if they kept their end of the bargain. He understood how things had gone wrong before and what had sent them into exile for those 70 years. So Ezra has returned. He's come back to the, to the land of his ancestors and sees how these exiles had married the people of the land. That was the name the text gives them that we discussed last week. These are the people who had told the exiles, once they had returned, that we want to help you rebuild because we worship the same God as you. But the reality was they did worship the God along with a bunch of other gods. So in Ezra's point of view, there are conflicted allegiances going on. Because on one hand, these exiles claim they are devoted to God. But now they have married people who are not devoted to God. At least not fully, not their same type of understanding of God. And Ezra sees this as a big problem. So in this story, in this particular instance, it's not something related to race, but it's about religious identity. And I can say that because previous giants of the faith, like Moses, Joseph, Abraham, Boaz in the story of Ruth, all individuals who had their ups and downs, but were seen as people of genuine faith. All of them married foreigners as well, and it was not an issue. In fact, in the story of Moses, when Miriam and Aaron criticized him for marrying a foreigner, Miriam and uh, Aaron are the ones who got in trouble for that. So the issue is not that they've married foreigners, it's how that's affected their religious identity. The Torah, meaning the Bible, for, that, for these individuals, doesn't say not to marry a non-Israelite, but rather don't give allegiance to other gods. And throughout the majority of scripture, the call toward the foreigner is one of hospitality and welcome. And Ezra believed that these actions by these returned exiles, were their actions were a threat toward them staying faithful to the God who had just returned them from exile. He was afraid that their faith would become watered down 
into a movement that was just meant for political gain, because that's what they saw these people of the land trying to do, is that they would help them rebuild, but only for the purpose of keeping the economic power in their hands, being able to control the Israelites. So Ezra, as best as he can, which is still worthy of critique, is making an interpretation of the law and applying it to the situation he found himself in. And it's probable that because of the relationship with the people of the land and what he perceived as their goals, that he was afraid that these marriages would lead them toward losing this land. Because what happens if, some, if a, one, part, one spouse passes away, the other spouse inherits what they have. So the people of the land could have inherited the land that Ezra felt belonged to the Jews. So you've probably caught on that there are a lot of factors in play here. And Ezra and his associates' decisions are worthy of critique. But we can also recognize that they are humans in a very messy situation. Friends, it is okay to look at our so-called Bible heroes and see them as humans who are just as messy as us. And perhaps with this story of Ezra, what we can see, what we need to learn from this story is that sometimes we may be called to do something drastic that may not be popular. Ezra, you can think what you want, but he was taking a strong and bold stand. This passage is describing a historical situation. Now, it's important to note that with it, as we interpret the Bible and as we look into it, especially within historical books like Ezra and Nehemiah, something that is descriptive of one group in one time is not necessarily prescriptive for all of us in all the rest of time. And that's really important when we read the Bible. Even we look at marriage. Later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says to them, hey, if you're married to an unbeliever, you should stay married to them. <laughs> now there's a little nuance between these two stories because what Paul is talking about is how two unbelievers were already married and one of them then, after the marriage had happened, became a follower of Christ. In this story, we had one person who was already faithful, already part of God's family, and married someone outside of it. The issue in Ezra is that somebody who is already part of the faithful is going outside of the faith for a spouse. Paul, in that instance, is offering something different. This is why we have to look at the Bible with nuance. And we need to take the values 
and message of what is being described, what is descriptive of this particular situation, and learn with the Spirit's guidance, with humility, and with love at the center to apply them to our current situation. What Asper did was intense. But from his perspective, the identity of the people of God was at stake and something intense needed to happen. Sometimes we recognize through the Spirit's push that we can't keep going the way we are and expect God to just bless us. And frankly, we are at this point here at St. Paul. If we want to turn around, we have to make some changes. And what Ezra is communicating, the core of what I think his message is, is that we can't be a blessing to others unless we take our own spiritual formation seriously. In order for these exiles to effectively do what God has called them to do, they have to be the people who God has called them to be first. The who always precedes the what. Our mission as a people and as a church will only be effective if we keep our roots planted in disciplines and ways of life that form us as God's people. If we want to rebuild our church, we have to also rebuild our own spiritual lives. So friends, what's breaking Ezra's heart here is not marriage to foreigners. It's people who are losing their connection to God. Ezra is heartbroken because from his perspective, people's relationship with God is no longer the top thing on their priority list. So what this tells us is that it's heartbreaking to God when we aren't nurturing our own relationship with God. We can't expect rebuilding to go well if we are not staying true to who, again, to who God has called us to be. If we are not actively being disciplined in our own spiritual formation, then we can't expect God to sustain any type of rebuilding that we do. So we need to dive deep into our spiritual lives. And yes, we need to pray for discernment. And then we need to be willing to take action. And now you're full aware and I'm aware that we don't have the capacity to do some of the ministries we used to do. That's okay. This is a different time. We're in a different season but we can still do something. Just because we can't do what we used to do doesn't mean God is done with us. Ezra is trying to tell these exiles that there is hope 
but you have a role to play in that hope becoming reality. There is deeply meaningful work for them to do, but to get there, you have to take bold action. These exiles probably didn't realize all of what they had just signed up for. They didn't realize what was waiting for them at the end of that thousand mile plus journey. But Ezra is telling them that God will not forget you if you do not forget God. And here we are today, hoping, yearning for transformation for our church. But in order for that to happen, we have to be transformed people. It doesn't come from just trying harder or praying harder. It's not how it works, thanks, thankfully. But it is about being intentional. And about spending time nurturing our own spiritual life. And when we are who God calls us to be, which we may never fully get there. In fact, I don't think we will, but it is a journey of continued develop, continued development. When we are on that journey toward becoming who God has called us to be, the what will start to take shape. And friends, God will take care of the rest. Amen.